episode 16, that doesn't really affect me, where we're talking about low interaction games. As always, you're joined by me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome, everyone. So, what have you played recently? These have been low playing weeks after the 4th of July weekend in which I played a lot things have been frantic and I have only played sporadically but we did get together and play something that I really wanted to try when you came over I got to try Chrono Corsairs Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that we had mentioned before and Coloma two that I really wanted to try and I was very excited about and unfortunately that didn't live up to expectations for me. So I'll start with Coloma. Up to when we explained the rules and we were ready to play and I saw the components and everything was on the table, I was actively scouting on my phone for a copy to order. (laughs) And Anna was on board and we were very excited. And again, this was after rules explanation, so I already knew how the game would play. Mm -hmm. But then when we got into the game proper... Things were less exciting than I expected. As you had mentioned before, Coloma does a lot of little details, but the main thing is there is an action selection out of, what is it, five? And if you are alone on a space, it's not exactly how it works, but more or less, if you are alone in a space, you get an extra action. And if you instead are in the place with the most, you don't. And that sounded interesting, but then the actions became a little boring to repeat through. So it wasn't a great, great experience for me. I was for you. It was your second or third play, right? Mm-hmm. I think with more players, it actually is not as fun, which is weird. I really liked it with two. I thought with two, it was good because it gave you a little more information about where the bust action could possibly be. And I mean, sure, sometimes we still, me and the other person playing would run into each other, but then it would affect the two of us. Whereas sometimes when we were playing it, it would affect two or three of us. And so the fourth person, when we played it as a four player, really ended up getting a few more extra actions. And it felt a little unbalanced as to who was getting more actions and and how frequently they benefited from not being where everyone was. Yeah, I think that for me, and this will be hard to follow for people who have not played the game, but two things in detail that I didn't like beside the the busting action. One was there is this track where you accumulate outlaws that you're supposed to fight together. But the problem is that they tend to accumulate really, really fast. And it's true that at first we had misunderstood the rule, but even when we fixed it in the second and third stage of the game, they were accumulating super fast. So it was always maximized very quickly because those barrels, which are basically semi-random bonuses, you, you have a display of them, they seemed exceedingly good because they had half an action or an action to what you do. And the other thing is there was a travel section uh, akin to what we talked about in village last time where you you go around you're trying to visit certain places although it's a little more mechanical because you need to stop in a place and then take a different action to plant a tent yeah but the fact that you could go back and forth very quickly and just collect a lot of minor items and so often for a lot of us the the action was okay i move these four spaces and then I move the same four spaces back and I get a little bit here and there and it had no feeling of travel and exploration and expansion as it has not only in more dynamic games but even in other Euros. Again, going back to Village, in Village doing one of those steps feels like a big deal and if you can make it to all six, it, it is because you have spent a lot of time traveling while here the problem was do I care enough to stop and take another action or I rather keep going and get a lot of micro bonuses? And I yeah. think that was more than the the problems with the bust action. I was lucky with the bust action. So I got a lot of the extra little benefits. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus. 
that's why I didn't say it was you, but yeah. I mean, since we're saying that it was you, <laughs> you super benefited from that. <laughs> oh, that that's what being good uh, does to you. Being nice mm. to people uh, and telling them, go stop, Nathan, go, go stop, Scott. Anna and Scott, you should go to the same spot. <laughs> and herding my, my opponents towards the same spots was, was very beneficial. But in general, even that, that felt sometimes it shouldn't be in a game that where something goes your way instead of feeling, oh, yeah, I, I, I was feeling like I'm sorry that happened again. And I was genuinely I mean, not sorry in the game, but above the table, I was sorry because, of course, it's frustrating when after three turns you have taken six actions and someone else has taken three. Yeah. Just because they happen to go for the same strategy is not a clear cut. Well, of course, I decided to go for the unusual strategy. Therefore, obviously, I will get some less competition. Everyone does the same actions. So it's a lot of, oh, I will do... Horses first and bridges later, and it's not like one of the other or the other is superior. It's just that it happens that the other two people decided to go bridges first and horses later, and all of a sudden I am two turns ahead. Yeah. So, yep, that's for fun. Uh, <laughs> what did you enjoy playing recently? I recently played Biblios Dice. Oh, that's not regular Biblios, right? No. Because, yes, regular Biblios has dice, but Biblios Dice is a separate game. It's a, it's a dice game. Is it even faster? I don't know. It's about it's actually about the same length. Mm-hmm. I played it with three people. Biblios Dice is from the same designer, Dr. Steve Finn, and it is a game where it's very similar. If you know regular Biblios, the board looks very similar. You have the, the different colored die. The one part that's markedly different, there's a bishop track. It's similar to the iconography of the card game where you are increasing or decreasing dies. They also have that, but there's a track where you move up on. And I was sadly not informed that that track was important for breaking ties. (laughs) So that I was like, oh, whatever, like, I'm not going to go here. So all of the spaces start, you start out at negative points and you have to get up and then whoever gets the majority at the end of the game scores two times whatever the die is showing. And then the next person I think scores what the die is showing and then the third the third person would show half, would get half the points of what was showing. Mm-hmm. And then you have secret objectives in the beginning and just be the first on this track influence with the black die or whatever it was a lot of fun so the mechanism is you roll dice and then there are two different outcomes so one is you have a normal turn so you would take all of one face of a die if there's two black you would take both black if there were three black you would take all three the there's another die though that is a little mule or donkey or something and it moves along this track and if it reaches the end of the track including what you just rolled, then you have an auction round and the person who's the active player at that moment splits the dice into two separate piles. Mm -hmm. And then you have a little auction similar to the card game. And you have cards, I think one through seven and a blank card. So the blank card you flip out when you want to pass, when you're done bidding. But as long as you keep flipping numbers, you can keep, keep in the auction. And the person who bids the most pays their full amount and gets first choice. And the person who's second pays only half their amount. And then they get the second choice. I don't know. It was a good game. I like that it had a lot of the feel of Biblios. I don't know. I wouldn't be ashamed to have you play it. <laughs> so which one do you like the most? Well, obviously Biblios, the card game, the original. But I only had one play of Biblios Dice. So, And so do you see... I'm trying to understand the feeling rather than the mechanism, which seems quite straightforward. Do you see any kind of player who you would introduce this to rather than Biblios? I mean, beside your personal preference for the original. Um, like, is there something that it does better? Or is just, sure, this is okay too? I feel like regular Biblios, you have to have a little sense of gamer about you. Mm-hmm. Because you need to 
understand about the majorities and you need to understand about getting the having coins to bid on the auction and knowing trying to keep track of what everyone's everyone else has in their hand and with biblios dice it's not that it's very straightforward because you don't have a hand you have tracks so it's all visual in front of you so if people don't like the sort of gotcha mechanism at the (laughs) the end of biblios like oh you thought you had the majority but here i am with the whole majority i have the exact cards that i need to beat you then this would be a better solution it's a lot more straightforward like i said i don't want to say it's less strategy because you still have it's different strategy but it's a lot easier for i think non-gamers to comprehend it avoids the surprise frustration <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah which... which is so good but um i can understand that not that's not everyone's cup of tea fair enough what else have you played well i wanted to talk about chrono corsairs so again oh, and how you were disappointed again no this actually for me was different <laughs> uh, today i was reading a forum thread on bgg that was about games that you're disappointed in <laughs> Real, real uplifting uh, article there. Yeah, it's, it's my Sunday morning reading, right? I, I go straight from <laughs> war news to, to board games for fun. No, but uh, someone made a very good point that sometimes the disappointment is not in the game per se by its merits, but by on how it plays out with your specific group. Yeah. Actually, I really like the parts that I thought I would like of Chrono Corsairs. So again, you explained it better before, but in short, it's a programming game where you modify slightly your program after each round and then you keep executing it. And it's one of those programming games where you program, but you still have some choice at the moment of the execution. It's not a robo-rally. It's more on the Cult Express side of, okay, I decided that I move into a jungle, but which jungle I move into and how many people I move into, I can choose when I resolve it. And you're trying to fight for majorities. I really like this idea of, oh, look, I'm learning more about what other people can do and therefore adjusting my programming. I like that the programming improved. You start with very simple actions and then they get increasingly more complex, but they are still stuck at the specific moment of your programming. So do I want to improve all of the basic ones or I need to get rid of one that is already upgraded and get a different upgraded one to to react to what Nathan is doing and things like that. On the game itself, I felt the only weak part was that the rewards for all of this were not particularly interesting, were not straightforward points because there was a majority and you want to be first in certain areas. And But at the same time, after all of this, they were just a few points here and a few points there. And there are different ways of getting points artifacts that you can also use to do stuff but you don't want to because there are points and coins and crystals and so i would have preferred if either it had been simpler okay each area has its own straight up points or vice versa if each area had been more involved and it would have been a more complex game but with i don't know something a la courtier where every area gives you a special power and things like that Mm -hmm. still the game was good i think on its own but for some reason it really really didn't click with a group it was you me scott and anna and i think that even with the impression that it fell a little flat i was the one that had the most fun and that was strange something in the game didn't work (laughs) people were frustrated people were not having fun at the end we were going through the motions and i couldn't pinpoint it like in coloma I understood what wasn't working for me and what wasn't working for other people. The frustration of seeing someone getting twice as many actions without any fault of your own. And this traveling back and forth, very mechanical, very repetitive. And these barrels that are supposed to be just a random bonus and instead become an integral part of, oh, I got another yet another action and I can change stuff if I get the right barrel at the right time. While in Chrono Courses, I'm not sure what, what didn't work. It certainly went longer than it felt it should. We played for over two hours, and it mm-hmm. seems like something that should be an hour. But even considering that, even accounting, let's say we had stopped midway through the game, it's still something something didn't work. And I don't know if it was our group or if it is in the game. I don't know. So I thought from the very beginning that Anna wouldn't like it because you spend all this time trying to program something But then your program still has all these choices in it. Mm -hmm. So it's not you program it and you're like, oh, clearly this is the only thing I can do. And I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes if you are saying I'm going from a beach to a volcano to a cave to a beach, there's 
only one path that lets you do all those things. But then you have to you have to account for how many do I want to move? What is everyone else doing? Um, will I have majority here? Does it make sense to move? Do I go here and activate this timely little bonus based on the time of day that I'm entering this area? So it was a lot of backloaded information, and I feel like she put so much emphasis on the front of it that she got frustrated when the back didn't match up to her expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where she really didn't care for it. I don't know. Scott and I like it okay. It's just kind of meh for us, at least. Yeah, and just to give justice to it, we are talking about, again, Chrono Corsairs. It's by <laughs> John Brigger and Vincent Hirzel. The artist is Mark Paquette, and the publisher is... I won't name it in front of Nathan, but Tasty Minstrel Game. Uh... <laughs> it's still among my favorites. It used to be. I'm still waiting for Luna. Fair enough. <laughs> so, do you have um, anything else that you wanted to talk about? Yes. I played Lorenzo Il Magnifico again with the expansion. I love it. It didn't work with our group. Well, I wasn't there. That's probably what it was. The thing, so the cons, I'm going to start with the cons of the fifth tower the expansion so the cons that i have are well one i like slaughtered our group like (laughs) like like completely annihilated them there was a card called the penitent and basically i think when we played it one of you got it as well it's a card that it costs six coins and one of the little locks and you get to ignore one of the requirements of a leader when you play it oh yeah i got it late but i got it yeah okay but then i had five leaders that had one only one requirement Mm -hmm. so it was all like free okay and they all kind of comboed into each other so it became this thing where i was just at the end of the faith track Mm -hmm. i ended up getting like 30 points and then i got the one where every time you get points you get one point extra so i was just they were hating it they were hating the experience (laughs) because i ran away with it but so the cards in the fifth tower seem a little unbalanced mm-hmm. like they seem like if you have the right things that you can really run away with it and i think that it takes a lot of uh, takes away a lot of the elegance of the original game i feel like the original game was a lot tighter i feel like it was definitely something you felt very proud when you built a machine that was capable of running and giving you all these different resources whereas the my win felt kind of cheap Mm -hmm. in a way because it was literally for this one card that i received that let me make all these leaders which made me make all these combos which gave me you know so many so many extra points so the other thing that was weird was none of us like fought each other for spaces at the beginning like when we bid on our family our intro families Mm -hmm. none of us fought each other we all just got the bottom Which power do you end up getting? I got the one where on the faith track, you put the little tokens. And when you pass that token, you get it off of the faith track. Which also helped you. You were helped you (laughs) towards the faith, I guess. Right. Again, we're talking about Lorenzo il Magnifico by Brasini, Gigli, and Luciani. And it's not a mystery that we both really like the, the basic game. I actually also really, really like Houses of Renaissance or whatever the expansion is called specifically because it's expansive. The only criticism I have of the basic game is that sometimes, especially if you're playing as it is meant to be introduced, so without leaders, it can be a little constraining. It's often, oh, I don't have enough, so I send this guy to get a few coins, or I get this guy to get a few assistants. And that's why I strongly suggest that even if people don't want to get into all of the leaders rafting and all of that, just give them four leaders and tell them, ignore the front. Just know that at any point you can discard one to get a little bonus there called scroll actions. And they give you a little bit of something and they add kickstart your strategy. But what I really like about the expansion is that between the those extra resources uh, for the power draft at the beginning... And the fact that having the fifth tower, sure, you still have only four towers that are really accessible because one of the five is always more dice expensive. In the game, you basically have three actions, four actions connected to dice. Three of them are rolled. One is a die of value zero. Everyone has the same values. And you're trying to use those 
less than your opponents. You don't roll your own dice. But the fact that there are a few more options makes me and everyone at the table do a little more. It makes the leaders a little more doable. It makes the machine a little more runnable. And so it increases not only the end scores, but the feeling of accomplishment. And I really, really like that. Obviously, I cannot say anything right or wrong about your, your specific play because every, every play is unique. But I do think that once people know the game, seeing something like, oh, I don't want them to, to run away with that. And also, isn't the one that gives you the the discount on leaders around three card so it's a two or it's a actually. two okay i'm i'm sure that it can be powerful but again if someone goes in the same tower it will cost you nine coins it did it cost me nine coins which is not nothing and right so there is that for me it worked very well in the last game because i also got a different card that let me have more leaders but again it's a lot of chaining yeah i ended up with 160 points <laughs> see but 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 that's i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing and also in a game where you never draw anything from a deck and everything is on the board and drafted and that's a cost and people can stop you and people can just get the card um it's hard to to see something as incredibly unbalanced, right? Because I remember that when playing the game, and I remember when I got that card, it was I was very torn between that and two other cards. So the feeling that one card will win you the game, it seems more situational than absolute. The other players looked up the card because they first they didn't believe that that was how it worked and secondly <laughs> secondly they were like oh well surely we can't be the only people who feel like this and of course there was a big post about how this card is overpowered and people because it's part of the fifth tower which has extra cards anyway they were like oh well we don't play with it in the fifth tower so and I did. I really felt like my win was cheapened by it, but I feel like it was because of the other players. <laughs> they were they were a little. They had sour grapes. Is that what it is? Yeah. I mean, first, it's true that if someone really felt that, oh, this is my problem with this game, you could just take it out because, as you said, there are more than you need, and in the fifth tower only. Yeah, exactly. It's the only one that has more. Although I wonder, you're, we're both waiting for the new little expansion from the Kickstarter for Maraja. Yep. And so I wonder how those relate to it. And maybe the other towers would also be expanded. So again, I, I'm not defending the card. I saw it once in the games I played so far. So I have certainly no strong opinion on whether it's balanced or not. But I think that even if that was a problem, it would be a little like throwing away the baby with the with the washing water. Yeah, uh, yeah to to dismiss the, the expansion because of that. I, I really, really think that it's an expansion that works well in. I feel like I can teach the game, including the expansion. And I don't know, I, I think for me, it's definitely a good addition. I was very happy of introducing it to you and Anna, and I think the game went well. It was a fun game with the expansion. Yeah, I like it. Like I said, though, I just feel like it it does muddy the game a little bit. Mm -hmm. It was a little more satisfying to get a really strong, efficient machine in the base game, whereas I feel like you have a little more wiggle room, a little more, I don't know, a little more just like options. Yes, yes, it definitely makes, uh, I feel like the basic Lorenzo, it's very good at, oh, resources are so limited. How am I going to scrap by? Mm -hmm. While with the expansion is more of there are so many little things that need to fall right into place, but I can build an exciting machine. And both yeah. are things that can be fun. It's just a different experience. I'm surprised that you like the lock tokens, though, because I feel like it's similar to the barrels in Coloma. It's true. Um, and we were talking with Anna about that. I feel that the one thing that annoyed us the most was that there were some that were strictly superior to others. Like if you get three coins and I get two, that's a little annoying. But um, two things. First, there are benefits that give you straight up three coins. So all of the black tokens are a little more flexible 
but they are they tend to be worse. And second, I felt that overall, even when I was losing a total of two coins, or Anna was losing a total of two coins over the course of the entire game, that wasn't a super big deal. But I do agree that though there is a little bit of variety there, random variety, which could be slightly annoying. Although I feel the variety in the dice rolls or in what order and where the cards come out is way more important, even if it's less visible because they don't come out of a random pile at a random moment, right? Yeah, that's valid. I feel like the lock tokens also, if we're since we're comparing Coloma and Lorenzo, the barrel tokens versus the lock tokens, the barrel tokens, you had to do a specific action to go get them, whereas the lock tokens are just a bonus that you get if you are high enough on the fifth tower. It's just something extra that you're getting as a little small bonus versus something that you're actively going to get. Yes, and also I felt they fed more into your general machine or you got a little more coins. And by the time you have a lot of those, you usually have a lot of other stuff from your machine unless something went wrong. <laughs> to try and finish at least my my experience, I, I with the fact that we took a break from recording for once I have a lot of stuff, even if the last few weeks were a little slow playing, but there would be a lot more that I would like to talk about. But I wanted to touch upon a game that I had expected long to play and that I was very happy with, which is Similo. Oh, yeah. Which you were so nice to introduce to us, although Similo comes in three versions, Fables, Myth, and History, which was the one I was most excited for, but obviously you hated. So uh, we <laughs> didn't play with that. But the gameplay is the same, whatever deck you get. you It's a co-op game where one player is giving clues, basically, and everyone else is trying to guess. So you are trying to, by process of elimination, reduce a pool of 16 characters to the one character that the clue giver has randomly selected. And obviously they cannot cheat and they are simply playing cards and telling you whether they have they are similar or not to the secret one that they're trying to lead you to and basically there is a lot of discussing why something is or is not similar is this card similar to the queen because cinderella is also uh, going to be a princess or are they different because the evil queen is evil and cinderella is good and is the genie similar to this other magical creature because they're both magical? Or is instead the genie similar to these other characters because they have hats? And that's what the game, the game comes down to. But the fact that it is charmingly illustrated, that is very, very quick, and that the tension grows because you are eliminating cards and you're eliminating one, then eliminating two, and then eliminating three and four makes it so that the stakes, considering that it's a very easy game, are higher and higher while you proceed. And after five minutes, you have either reached the right one or you got it wrong. Failed. <laughs> it was a little too easy. Not by much, but I would have liked some more tension. It was very rare that we had a lot of doubts. It usually is, okay, clearly this, this, and this we can eliminate and it often came down even when we did lose it came down to a 50 50 while in other games of the same ilk mysterium or code names or other games in which you are doing associations there is a little more tension but it was fun and it's easy to play easy to explain fast to play it is by martino chiacchera hjalmar hack and Pierluca Zizzi. I was so happy. I saw, oh, these are Italian names. I know how to pronounce them, but one of them <laughs> is not like the other. And uh, the artist is Xavier Guenifi Durand, which we talked about recently for seasons and lots of Xidit. And I really, really like his art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. I thought it was, it was fun for the very short amount of time it took to, to play. I think that maybe it w it seemed a little easier because we played so many rounds of it. Fair. 
because we got into knowing what, oh, well, this person will probably think that these are similar because of a superficial reason, or this person, well, this person knows nothing about myths, so they don't think that the myths are the th- part that is similar or dissimilar. So it was, I, th- I feel like because we played it so many times in a row that it lost a little bit of that mystery. True, absolutely true, although I don't foresee many situations in which someone will play a single four-minute game of Similo. But, and it seems to me that this is the kind of cooperative games that you like the most, where they are very simple and to the point. It seems to me that when you, you have to instead get into thinking and planning, you'd rather do it against someone else. Am I right in that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was similar. I liked it. Yes, it was good. It was good. I'm glad that I own it. I think it's time to get into our review of San Juan. Sounds good. So San Juan is a game by Andreas Seifart. It's from 2004. I don't know who's publishing right now. My version is the Alea edition. San Juan was supposed to be the adaptation of Puerto Rico into a card version. Puerto Rico is also by Andreas Seifart. And it competed for a little while with Race for the Galaxy, who had the same ambition. And I will go right into it. I like San Juan much, much more than I like um, Puerto Rico. So in San Juan, the main mechanism is something that comes from Puerto Rico and has been later re-implemented in Glory to Rome and a bunch of other games down to the recent Rising Sun, which we both really like, which is someone picks an action, whoever has the chance of picking it in that moment, and everyone will take that action, but the chooser will take it more strongly or with a bonus more efficiently, depending on the action. In San Juan, that's basically all there is. You have cards from your hand, which you use to build them. Basically, they function both as currency and as special effects. But the actions that you can take are building indeed, drawing a card, seeing a lot of cards and picking one, producing with your production buildings, basically plantations, and trading, basically shipping away the things that you produce. That's all there is. And then each building modifies slightly these actions for you. But that's all there is. You choose a role, the next person chooses a role, the next person chooses a role, everyone takes the connected action, and then it's a new round. And the game ends when someone builds 12 buildings. And it's a points game. You're trying to get the most points. And one of my favorite ways to get those points is by building a chapel very early on, which Mm -hmm. allows you to tuck cards underneath to later on um, they're worth a point each so that is my personal favorite strategy but i'm curious to hear what you have to say about your favorite strategy i don't know that i have one which i think goes to why this game is so good so first of all i when i got my copy it had mixed in the expansion which i think is now part of the second edition Mm -hmm. so i have no clear idea of what is possible with the, just the base game. It's one of those expansions that fits seamlessly into the game. It's just more buildings and more effects. There are also some special cards that we never use. Basically, in the game, you have three ways of scoring points. One is going for violet building or city buildings that are the ones that modify all of your actions. So it's an incremental increase where every time you take an action, you take it a little better and a little better, a little better. By the time the game ends, you have built more, you have built more expensive buildings and therefore score more. Another one is, as you were mentioning, taking advantage of specific scoring opportunities. There is the chapel, which is basically a card for a point every round. There is the harbor, which is you get an extra point every time you ship. And there is the bank, which is like a chapel, but containing one turn. At one point in the game, you can slam as many cards as you want on the bank and get those many points. And then the third strategy is going all in on those producing and trading 
buildings. So it's another way of getting a regular influx of cards and building a bunch of buildings, getting a bunch of points. And why I think when I started playing the first one, the, oh, I have all of these cool buildings that do all of these different things was my favorite. Uh, by playing it more and more, I have learned to go with the flow. And so I usually decide very early in the game which one I want my strategy to be. But you are really beholden to what cards you see, although there are ways to go look for them. There are some that are single cards that give you a lot of points. There are some conditional cards that score you a lot of points at the end of the game. And I think that that's the strength of someone. The mechanism is extremely simple, actually, I think extremely fun, but there is a lot to consider. And often you have four cards and you have to decide not only which one to build now, but since you are using the other cards from your hand to pay for the one that you're building, it means that it's not, oh, I will build this this turn and this other one next turn. Often is, do I want to build this and get rid of the other card or vice versa? Because I have no guarantee that the other card will come back to me. Right. And I think that's where the beauty of the game is. And that's why moving it to a card version compared to Puerto Rico, not only liberated it from a lot of the complexities that I personally feel, obviously a lot of people feel differently, are a downside to Puerto Rico, a lot of stuff to keep track of just for the sake of it, but at the same time create this very good tension of, I have this card in my hand now, but if I build this other one, this card is gone as building material, what am I going to do? Yeah, yeah, I've never played Puerto Rico, but I really enjoy San Juan. I would be open actually to playing Puerto Rico. From what I remember, what I imagine, I think you would like it more than me. I am conflicted about Puerto Rico because I remember distinctly the one time that I played it. And part of it was certainly connected to that specific play, my not liking it. But then later I have seen people playing it. I have read the rules. And while I probably wouldn't dislike it as much as I dislike it that first time, it's still not a game that I'm interested in. It also has some problems with representation, the way it completely makes slavery a part of the game but doesn't mention it. It's a little weird. People gave flack to Five Tribes for having the slave cards in the game. Puerto Rico has all of these discs. They're not even meeples. They're just discs that you move around towards your plantations and they're brown discs and they're called colonists <laughs> and so people have had a problem with that but i must say that wasn't the problem i had my problem was strictly at the time i wasn't thinking of representation in games and things like that it was strictly about the gameplay and i think that the one thing that was very good about puerto rico and still the thing that people mention every time they say they like puerto rico was this i choose an action and everyone follows and I think that the fact that San Juan extracted that and went to what was fun in Puerto Rico and, to me, removed everything that was not. But even for people who do like it, everyone recognizes that this is a great mechanism in the game. I think early 2000s were years in which a lot of steps were made to identify what was good uh, in a mechanism rather than simply trying to consider games in their overall complexity and so the fact that the designer recognized oh i have something very very smart here therefore i can bring it into a card game which to make it even better it's not called puerto rico the card game it's called san juan i love it <laughs> <laughs> and it recently got a second edition insofar as i know there is no significant difference in the rules the art is different Different. I think it's slightly better. Neither of them has art that I would go bananas over. They are fine. Uh, they are both very functional. They both have that muted Euro look. I think in the second edition, at least the graphic design is a little better. The colors are a little nicer. It's a little clearer. The You can see the information more immediately. Yeah. I must say, while I do prefer the second edition 
I would have expected a game that came out after 10 years, because the second edition is from 2014, to be better. It is an improvement, Mm -hmm. but it's not great either. Um, They make things clearer, but... Yeah, no, I... I got to play with the expansion and the the second edition and it was okay. It wasn't, I agree. I think that it didn't really need an upgrade. I don't even think I feel like euros in general have a certain art style that you become a little uh, numb to. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like that's it, it fits right in with that. The main thing about the second edition was that they built the expansion in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a good, very good idea because, again, I cannot know for certain because I always played it with the expansion. But when I look at the, how many cards were from the expansions, I can feel it could become a little repetitive without them. While as it is, it has a wide enough array of cards that you can play it dozens of times and still feel it different every time. It also scales very well. With two players, you have a little modification in the rules out of the five action. I choose one, you choose one, I choose a second one, and then we reset for the new round, and now you start picking. But the flow is very similar, and it plays up to four, I think three or two is my favorite number, but I played with four with no problem. Yeah. So that was San Juan. Okay. Moving on to our theme of today, which I don't remember the title that you came up with, but I really liked it. Uh, it was what I, I'll do my things over here. What What was it? I already forgot. <laughs> I didn't write it down. <laughs> And yeah, we were uh, going for games that are low interaction. And as usual, I want to start with a specification or something. (laughs) So normally, a lot of games that both you, Nathan, and I like are accused of being low interaction games. Some Euros are called multiplayer solitaire, including most of Feld games things like Orléans and things like that. And I obviously strongly disagree. Orléans? Yes. This morning I was looking for inspiration for this list and I was I googled multiplayer solitaire and not only Orléans came up, but also uh, a game like uh, Shakespeare where what? a main theme in, thing in the game is choosing when to draft and uh, cards and how many action to use and you're trying to beat uh, the number of other players because that gives you a point and the turn order and there are two tracks for initiative and all of that and so there is a certain slice of our hobby that sees anything that doesn't have a way to directly impact someone else like attacking your units or stealing cards from you or things like that from your hand from what you have already achieved as a low interaction game or a no interaction game while to me denial of opportunity is still a very strong and very very relevant interaction if there are four cards out like in macau and things like that and i have a draft and i draft before you that's still a lot of interaction for me for me interaction is not necessarily only against what you have already achieved but also in limiting what you can achieve yeah i disagree with the the multiplayer solitaire Euro aspect. I feel the low interaction, for me at least, it's more of a focus on the actual gameplay itself. Because like you said, if there are opportunities where you can impact what a player is doing or impact what their choices are or things like that, I feel I still feel like that's a significant amount of interaction. But maybe people who think that that's multiplayer solitaire prefer more direct things like blood rage where it's area control and it's you're fighting and you're actually like engaged in every player's turn possibly so i don't know and i think that was exactly why i was curious about hearing what you thought about this and exploring it on my own because i do think that 
I don't play a lot of solo games, for example, so I do think that interacting with the other players is is important. Even in co-ops, I like co-ops where the other player has agency, like Hanabi, like Grizzle, where you don't cannot simply tell other people what to do and things like that. And so obviously I wasn't expecting to find a lot of games that I liked that had that low interaction. I managed to find a few, but I definitely feel that the fact that you're not fighting or you're not taking away the hard conquered results of the other player is not necessarily a sign of low interaction. So do you have some examples? Yes. So I'll start with two games that are very different in how they play, but they fill the same role, which is basically bingo for gamers. One is Karuba, and the other is The Rise of Augustus. I also had Karuba. Okay, great. So I don't remember who it is by, and I don't own it, but it's literally uh, modeled after bingo. Basically, someone takes a tile out of a bag, everyone go look for the same tile from their reserve, and they assemble it on a board. Obviously, what makes it better and more fun than bingo is that while the tile that you get is fixed for all players, you choose where where to place it, and you are trying to connect meeples to other places, connect... uh, something to something else, but how do you connect it on this jungle exploration-looking board is what gives you points. And so it's a lot of what do you do with the same exact resources that I have. It is by Rudiger Dorn, who's the designer of Glenmore and Goa, or for games that we play a little more often, Dragonheart and Alhambra. Mm-hmm. And which is another game, Alhambra, by the way, that people say that is not very interactive and that baffles me since it's based on having majorities, but okay. Um, but Karuba, it plays in 50 minutes. It's charming because you're moving your little explorer's meeple through the jungle. There is a lot of push your luck in that you can go for very ambitious connections, but if the right tile never come out, you're done. Or you can try to just go straight for the points but if other players are trying to build the more complex interaction they will outscore you so obviously there is an indirect interaction in that you're trying to score more but there is strictly speaking nothing other players can do that can touch your board and your score that's why i even consider karuba would probably be the most low interaction, so the least interaction, but it's not my favorite of the ones they considered. Rise of Augustus, to be very brief, it's a similar concept, but it's a little less relevant because while there are pulls from a bag that are the same for everyone, what you're working with is not the same. Still, you don't do much to others. There is one moment in which when you complete one little scoreboard i guess there they are basically one mission uh, you you choose a new one so the timing of when you do that could impact other players but a lot of it is hoping that the writing comes out is by paulo mori the art is by vincent dutre which i think makes it a gorgeous looking game it has a completely unnecessary high stock of little legendary looking meeples <laughs> and it's it's really fun for what it is. Again, it takes 15 minutes, and I, I like it. I haven't played it in way too long. We should play it. So my number three is Bingo for Gamers, whichever flavor you prefer. <laughs> so mine was my number three was also Kuruba. I was a little on the fence about it because, because it is low interaction, but the whole premise of the game is that it's a race. And so in that regard, it does have interaction because you're racing to specific things. And so you can see if other people are racing towards a specific goal, you can go and try and get it before them. But like you said, there's not really much that you can do to stop them if they're already on their way to it. But it can definitely 
influence your decision. So that's why I was a little on the fence about it. But I do agree that it is very low player interaction other than, you know, maybe altering your strategy if you see someone going for something specific. But my number two is Oh My Goods, mm-hmm. which I've talked about. It's similar to San Juan in the sense that you're trying to make different buildings with different resources. You're producing goods. The mechanisms are not similar at all, but they are very similar in the sense that you are producing goods, you're using goods to get more resources or get more to chain things and and things like that. And in All My Goods, you are beholden to the deck when it, it flips out and you're trying to collect resources from the market. Uh, you have to wait until there's two suns that show and then you gauge based on that, whether or not you think you can produce with no additional help or with a little bit of help. So it's, I think it's neatly or sloppily production. And then you finish out flipping cards out. And when you get two more half suns, that's when the market is closed. And from that selection, you can take things that you need and it's a shared market. So it's not, it's not something that you physically take the card of, but you are allowed to use the symbols that are available in the market. And it is very low player interaction. There's not very much that you can do if someone is going for a specific thing. You you have your own thing in front of you where you're you're trying to make different combos and there's nothing that that is really interactive at all. So similarly, it's again kind of a race to get the most buildings out and get the most points. So it can have a little bit of interaction where you can say, Oh, well, you know, this person's saving up to build a bigger building or, or they're, you know, I have 11 buildings and they only have eight. So let me quick put down this building that I don't really care about, but it will end the game. So it is very similar in, in that regard. Have you played Oh my goods? I played it once. It was, thought very problematically so it took us a little while to get into the game at that point it was probably already too long for what it was i think we still got some rules explained wrong although i never read the rules so i cannot be 100 sure so i wouldn't mind giving it another try as it stands it's not a game that i consider liking <laughs> but again with all of this caveat and what i've seen of the same designer, same like stuff that I would like. I think I played is a broom delivery service, his or whatever it's called. I think it might be, uh, and I think so. And that I liked. I mean, I didn't love it, but I definitely like it, and I, I considered playing it. Yeah, it's Alexander Fister. Yeah, and he made he made broom service, and he made Great Western Trail. And Great Western Trail is another one that. I didn't get, but I, I liked Maracaibo from this past year. I really, really liked. So um, is Mombasa I liked quite a bit, although, again, that was a game that had problematic thematics for me, but I really liked the game. So I didn't like Isle of Sky, but that's because I don't like tile placement games, not his fault. So I should try Oh My Goods again. And if you like Oh My Goods, it came out with Expedition to Newdale last year, which is supposed to be Oh My Goods, the board game, basically. A big, sprawling Euro but that draws from the same concepts, basically. Yeah, my friend Brian owns it, so I will have to check that out. My number two is Thunderstone. Specifically, Thunderstone Advance, which is the second edition of the three versions of the game by Mike Elliott and others in this specific iteration is by Mike Elliott, Edward Bolm, and Mark Wooten. They are all published by AG. The last one is gorgeous, Thunderstone Quest, but is just another iteration. They fixed some rules. They made it a little less focused on the deck builder, and I do like deck builder, so I am very happy with Thunderstone Advance. It's a deck builder where... There are very little to no attacks against other players. The goal is not like in Hero Realms or Star Realms to 
eliminate other players. There is not a rotating middle row like in Ascension or Star Realms. And therefore, with all of this, it tends to be one of the lowest interaction-based deck builders. You build your deck, there is some competition for what you're choosing, obviously, but almost never a direct hate drafting or choosing something over something else. The end of the game is not determined like in Dominion by when certain decks run out, so you don't even have that push. And you're trying to build your deck, becoming more efficient at killing monsters, killing monsters from the dungeon, and when the dungeon runs out, whoever has killed the most points worth of monsters wins the game. There are certainly some interaction, like if I kill the monster you were planning on killing, but I never exactly know what you're trying to do. Actually, Anna and I play with an official variant that is called Epic Thunderstorm, where instead of having your neat piles like in Dominion, you, for each category, for the weapons, for the spells, for the heroes, you shuffle them all together, and so you have a huge variety that rotates, that simulates how when you walk into a fantasy village, you might find certain heroes to hire, but not others, or certain weapons to buy and not hire others. And in that case, interaction becomes very important because if I get the big two-handed sword that you wanted for your deck, you might not see another one of those for after the game. But in the base game, it's very straightforward, very clean. It was the first game that, in my experience at least, took the great idea of deck builder in Dominion and made it into a a thematic and be a little more goal-driven game and i really like it but as it come in the box it doesn't have that much interaction i have never played that but i would be interested in playing it well whenever you want it's a game that you don't want to play with more than three okay. um, because it gets very long also you have played it but i have yeah in 2018 in july oh, well i've played hundreds of games since then yes <laughs> And I think we played it once, maybe? Yes, and I think you liked it. So I would be happy to play it again. I must say that if it weren't that I had already all of Thunderson Advance, I might have considered the new version that was on Kickstarter last year. It was this giant... They came out with basically everything together. So it was a giant game with a bunch of expansions. And I love that kind of completionist approach. But the game as it is, it's very, very fun. It's like your big box of escape. Oh, we played it yesterday morning. I <laughs> I went out. I did what, ex- what I promised. I went out for croissant and then came back and we used escape instead of coffee. Oh, my God. And it worked perfectly. For you, maybe. Yeah. I don't think Anna. <laughs> Anna might also have used regular coffee. Mm-hmm. And we... I made a mistake, so we thought we had won at 2,000 points, which was our super achievement. Instead, I had left out a tile, so we didn't make it to 2,000 points. It was sad. My last one on the list is going to... It's a little bit more generic. It's basically any roll-and-write where people are using the faces of the die without selecting them. So you're basically just marking things off on your own and trying to best use, similarly to like Karuba, you're just trying to use what everyone has best for you. I'm not talking about games like That's So Clever or That's that's So Clever too. <laughs> Twice as clever. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> because those you are actually drafting the dice off of, the, off of your rolls. So it wouldn't be something like those, but it would be more akin to Welcome To, I guess, where you are flipping and writing and you're just trying to best use what is showing to score the most points. So it's going to be those kinds of games. Yes, and I considered the category. Actually, I had different game, but that's probably why I don't particularly like that genre, meaning that they all feel more or less the same to me. Like playing Karuba or playing Welcome To or playing uh, the Garden Dice or whatever it was that you... Harvest Dice. You taught me. Yeah. And I 
played another one that was before the roll and write invasion. It was you flipped cards and they told you what kind of road you can build in your little town and things like that. They all feel a little bit the same and I'm not particularly enamored with them. And at that point, I'd rather see things being pulled from a bag because it takes me back to bingo with my extended family on Christmas and things like that. But I also had considered a dice rolling game, although it doesn't happen simultaneously. It's dungeon roll, which we talked about before. It's you roll your dice and try to score points, and then you do the same, but we have no interaction with with each other. The only interaction is knowing that you did well and therefore pushing my luck trying to go as far as you did. But there is literally nothing that you can do during my turn to stop me from trying and get points. It's interesting because it tells there there are there is a dungeon, so you are rolling your dice and then spending those to make your way through a dungeon. And the dungeon is simulated by a series of rolls and they ask the other players to to do it to keep them engaged. So they're trying to roll things against you, but they have no choice. They have just the number of dice that are rolling and hoping that bad monsters will come out for you, basically. But I think that that's where low interaction can be found the most, where you are dealing with the dice that are rolled in a light, slightly sm- smarter way, like the games that you were mentioning, or a little more straightforward fun, uh, like the one that I was mentioning. The game that I chose as lowest interaction actually involves dice and drafting, so I will have some defending to do, but is The Tavern of Tiefenthal by Wolfgang Worsch for Schmidtspiele. And it's uh, illustrated by Daniel Loshausen. It is, in a way, a sequel to Quacks from Quadlinburg, or whatever that is. And it's a game where you build your little deck. It's nice because it's a deck builder where the cards you you buy go on top of your deck rather than your discard pile, so you will use them immediately. And while there are two points of interaction with the other players in the game, one is there are some customers that you select from a row, And that, I feel, is not particularly interactive because the customers are more or less equivalent. There is a four that gives you a beer or a five that gives you a coin when you get them, but you're trying to increase the array of possible results for your dice, so that's not a big deal. The one that is a little more of a big deal is the drafting of the dice, but for how the drafting is, because it's public and it's in turn base. I feel like the tension there is not particularly strong. I feel that the core of the game is in flipping cards from your deck and seeing what comes out. And so since that's the most fun, the most important, and the most intense part of the game, and all of that happens with no input whatsoever from other players, hence I think that when I play the Towers of Tiefenthal, I don't feel like I'm interacting that much with other players. I still like it. I think it's very satisfying to have a game where you know that if you get a card, a new card, a new power, you will use it immediately rather than in a weird distant future. But it's not particularly interactive. I like that game. I only played it the one time with you, but it was... I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun so i did think of an actual specific example for my low player interaction for the roll and okay. right it's actually a clip and right have you heard of it clip cut park no that sounds different it it was different so you roll and you have to make cuts onto uh you get a square and it's filled with little squares and you have to make cuts on a piece of paper to let things fall off to have them to be placed onto little patterns that you're trying to make. And then if you make okay. if you if something falls off that is not usable on your little pattern, then you have to crumple it up. And then that is I think one of the tiebreakers at the end is if you tied the person who has the least amount of crumpled up things is the winner because you made less mistakes. But you roll and it's like two cuts, two cuts, two cuts. So you have to make two a cut of two, a cut of two, a cut of two. 
So a length of two squares. So it's it's interesting. It was different enough. Um, it's from Renegade Games by Sean Graham and Scott Huntington. And it it was very cute. You have scissors, you have one die where everyone's rolling, so it, it's very low player interaction, but it is it was it was a nice little spin on something that is that can become a little monotonous. I it, it certainly feels different. It also feels like it will hit a lot of people pet peeves. But beside the novelty <laughs> Um, I don't mind, for example, I don't mind legacy games, though, which other people find horrendous. How can you break and rip and cut things? So, um, yeah, that that doesn't seem like a game that I would particularly love, no. but not for the unique part of cutting it uh, like that. So, beside the refreshingly new, different thing, do you like it more than other let's call them roll and write, although I do understand that this is technically neither roll nor write, but of those, how does it rank in your in that category for you? Well, it is a roll, because you roll a dice and it tells you how many cuts you're making. Oh, fair enough. Um, but it, I don't know, it was, it was cute. I felt like a, I was at a severe disadvantage because the other person who I was playing with had played it quite a few times. So I was trying to just wrap my head around like how I want to cut things to, to set myself up for the future. And so what ended up happening was I was playing too long game. I kept making these cuts. I was okay. All I need is this cut that never came. That was a four. And then Got it. I would have cut off all of these pieces. So it was just like, I appreciate it for its difference, but I can see how, if you have experience playing the game, you're at a significant advantage. Got it. I liked the little quirkiness of the of cutting, though. I thought that was smart. Okay. Did you have anything else to to add for this topic? No, I think that's it. And we have gone quite long today, <laughs> but I guess thank you for listening. We'll try to get back on track after this little August hiatus. Thank you to those of you who are listening, subscribing, liking, commenting. We really, really like feedback and questions. Thank you to the designers that answered our either compliments or criticisms of their games. Obviously, we have a great admiration for people who actually can create the game and bring it to us. Um, even the, the games that we don't like, we wouldn't have anything to play or talk about if people didn't do that. Sure. For those of you who like to listen, we really appreciate your support. We like hearing from you. Again, we are available on BGG, on Facebook at Borgen Gambit, particularly on Instagram at Borgen Gambit, or via email at borgengambit at gmail.com. As you probably know, since you're listening to this, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and Basically, wherever you reasonably can find podcasts, consider liking, sharing, subscribing, and we'll try to be back on schedule next week. Yes. So uh, that is the episode. So signing out, my name is Nathan. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm Jackie. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>